So if you'll turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, we're going to, um, we're going to dive in and we're going to glean from the great apostle John this morning. One of the things that I love and appreciate about John is out of all the disciples, there was just something about John that he, he, he knew he was special, right? In fact, he called himself the beloved. It was like he thought he was Jesus's favorite. And whether Jesus ever said that to him or not, which I, I doubt he ever did, in his mind and in his heart, he was loved the most by God. And it, and it transformed the way he did life, viewed life. And I think for a lot of us, if, if we never encounter the reality of how much God loves us, and we don't realize that you're beloved, that I actually think that every person should view themselves in relation to God the way that John did. Like, I'm God's favorite. God loves me the most. <laughs> And, and when, when we think that way, it has the actual power to change us. In fact, Paul would talk about, I want you to, uh, I want your heart to be enlightened by the power and the presence of the love of God. Like you have to experience it. And I think one of the dangers of being a Christian and being in church oftentimes is we could begin to get numb to the love of God and it could all become head knowledge like yeah I know God loves me this I know because the Bible tells me so and I learned it in you know Sunday school but I never let it go from here to here John let it go from here to here he didn't just hear the words like we do he actually got to experience it with Jesus could you imagine that and that's 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 John's experience and so I love the writings of John, especially in, in uh, some of his letters that we're going to tap in today in 1 John, because he's writing from his experience of encountering the love of God and how it's affected his life and changed his life. So I wanted to give you a little bit of background on what we're about to read together. Here we go. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, and then I'm going to jump down to verses 19 through 21. The title of this little passage is this, God's love and ours. God's love and ours. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And I love this. And this, verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. How many of you are grateful that God didn't just proclaim his love for you, but he demonstrated his love for you. He showed us how much he loves us. This is how God showed us his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Now I know in our culture, I believe uh, in our Disney saturated culture, a lot of us have been poisoned with different ideas of what love is. And, and for a lot of us, we have to relearn what love is because we've been conditioned by the world what love is and what love looks like. Now, John is saying, no, I want you to forget about, he, he, they were immersed in Roman culture, Greek culture, where, you know, love is eros. It's, it's all about feelings. Uh, it's, it's about intimacy. It's about erotic love, all these different ideas floating around about what love is. And John is cutting right to the chase, and he's reminding us that the essence of who God is, is love. 
And, and if you're going to know God, you can't know God and not experience and encounter love and in return love people. But he says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And because God's love is in us, we get to be Jesus with skin to the world. And now verse 19, we love, and we're in this message series about first things first. And I wanted to bring you a series starting out the new year, not how do we help ourselves and, and all about goals and, and how we can change. But the way that we're going to change is when we seek God first. And here's another installment in this whole first. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, they cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, verse 21, that anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. But more importantly, I want to thank you that you don't just talk about love like so many of us do. It's not a good idea. It's not just good theology. It's not good doctrine. It's not a good scripture. It's all that. But more importantly, you demonstrated your love for us by sending your son, Jesus. For that, there's no thank you. That is enough. I can never be grateful enough. I could live my whole life worshiping you and being grateful, and it still would never be enough to say thank you. God, I pray today that we would have a fresh encounter with your love. I pray for every single person here, every single person watching online, every single person that's going to watch this later. God, I pray today that you would shower your love upon your people. I pray that you would open our hearts to receive everything that you have for us, but mostly, let us encounter your love so that we can be a vessel of your love to the people around us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. The title of my message to you this morning is First Love. First Love. And again, we've been in this message series exploring what is the priorities of God. Oftentimes, I don't know about you, but even in my own life, I've noticed that I've got gaps right? I've got gaps in my faith. I've got gaps in between what I read in the Bible, just like passages we just read, and gaps in the way my life lives out and how I actually love people. And even putting this message together, and I, I realize this, this, this message, I'm front-loading it for you. It's a very convicting message. Because when, when we realize the standard that God set for love and how we love, and we recognize how deficient we are in the way that we actually love, the way that God loves, we realize there's such a gap in our lives. And that oftentimes, you know, we go into New Year, and by the way, it's February now. Can you believe it? I mean, how many of you are like, where did January go? Like, where did I leave that month? Uh, I mean, just like amazing, like it's gone just like that. And here we are in February already, 
And uh, by the way, fellas, you know, with Valentine's Day coming up, just a little reminder from your pastor, go order your wife some flowers, plan a nice dinner, but actually love her like we're going to talk about today. And, uh, and you'll win her over. It'll, it'll transform your life. But this is a perfect message. Actually, I was praying about this and I was thinking, you know, I told our staff because I was gone, I actually had three messages that I could preach to you in the series. So I had to really pray and seek the Lord about which one he wanted me to give to you today. And uh, he kept bringing me back to this one because I believe that this is God's heart. And so the, I got a couple things for you this morning. The first one is this. Our first priority in life is to love like Jesus. And I know even hearing that, you may be like, oh, come on, Pastor Lance. And that swimming in the kiddie pool, you got something deeper for me. Can I tell you something? We could get into the deep things of God and the doctrine and theology of God, but yet we can miss the most important thing to God's heart. And that is to love people. Why? Because people were always first to Jesus. It's the whole reason he sent his son into the world. Why? Because you're his prized possession. You're the apple of his eye. You're the apple of his eye. When it talks about that in Proverbs, it's the very people. It's the very thing that gives us sight. It's like you are the most important thing in the world to him. John recognized that. He believed that he was the most important person in the world to God and to Jesus. That God saw him. He loved him deeply. He was the beloved of God. And, and, and God, Jesus, all throughout his his earthly life he made people his top priority they were the reason he came they're the reason he lived it was the reason that he did everything that he did he healed the sick he opened the eyes of the blind he did miracles he spent time quality time with people he loved people who didn't love him and didn't look like him and didn't act like him and yet here we are in the 21st century and I believe if we're not careful as the church we're in danger of forgetting about God's heart and priority for loving people first. God loves people first. For God so loved, so loved. He didn't love just a little. He so loved the world. And that when he says the world, he wasn't just talking about the people of God. If you're here, you're new here to Hope Church, you're new to Christianity, maybe you're not even a Christian here today. And I would just, I, I want to speak to you and say, God loves you. He sees you. You're not here by accident. In fact, some of us, we, we don't we're, I think our life is random and, and you know, I, I don't have a plan for my life. Maybe you were even born and, and you think you were born an accident and you're questioning why, why am I here? Let me tell you why you're here. Because God loves you. He's got a plan and purpose for your life. And whether you recognize that or not, God so loves you. And that's where we, we got to get back to it being personal. And not because just the Bible tells me so or a preacher preached a good message to me about it, but because I've encountered the love of God and I know in my heart that God loves me. God loves people in the priority of his heart. What's first to him? His people came first. He deeply loved and cared about people. And because he cared about people, one of the greatest ways that we can love God, which we just read about, is to love what God loves. And God loves people. People were first to him, and people better be first to us. And so we get into this new year, and we can start thinking about all the things we want to do, the people we want to become, how we want to look, we want to get. All those things are good. 
But if we lose sight of the fact that if we would put people and make people our priority and love our highest priority, how could that transform and change your life? But here's our problem. If we're going to be honest with each other this morning, and guess what? You're a church that I believe in that. So I'm going to kick off the party with a confession. My name is Lance Danick, and I'm a selfaholic. I'm selfish. I don't want to be. But if I'm going to be honest with you, in my old nature, in my old man, I am bent to be selfish. I am, I am bent to think about myself first. I was, I was thinking about this time um, for years. You know, I was in business before I, I became a pastor. And I served in the church. And I was serving as a lay leader in this church. And um, God just kept opening doors of leadership. And at one point, he called me out of the business world into full-time ministry back in September 8, 2013. Haven't looked back since. And uh, it's been a wild ride. I tell people when they ask me, so what's, what's full-time ministry like? I'm like, it's like getting on a roller coaster blindfolded. And you got two choices. You could hang on to, for dear life or you could throw your hands up in the air and wave them to, like they just don't care. And at first I was holding on like this and now I'm like, woo, let's go. And so when I was in business, I used to fly a lot for business. In fact, at one point, my company asked me to start flying to Europe to begin a division uh, of the company over in Europe. And so I started doing that. And so I went from flying on planes to having no status to having some medallion status. How many of you love, love you some sky miles, right? And uh, I used to be some nobody, sit in the back of the plane next to the bathroom, you know, that guy. And uh, I went from that as I started racking up sky miles, I watched my go from nothing to silver status, to gold status, to platinum status, till some of my last years, woohoo, I got the diamond status, people. And I thought I was the stuff. I, in fact, I still have the card because I, I just couldn't let it go. I mean, because like, I just can't let it go. No, I'm just, I keep it in my briefcase. This is a reminder, you know, and I cry sometimes looking at it. I used to be a diamond. Now I'm a nobody. I'm back to sitting in the back by the toilets. But one of the benefits of flying a lot was as you increased your medallion status or whatever, uh, you started getting free upgrades. And in the beginning, I'll never forget that first time, I'm sitting, you know, back in coach and, Mr. Danik, would you please ring your bell or whatever? And I did, and they come back and say, sir, would you like to upgrade to first class? And I'm like, I thought you would never ask. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I get up to first class and everybody's looking at you like, jerk, you know, as you bring your stuff all the way up to first class and, you know, they're offering you some champagne, all this different stuff. And it's like, wow, I could get used to this. And it was, it was nice. <laughs> I still dream about it sometimes, but, um, but I just, I remember after a while I started like expecting it. Like, you know, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get upgraded, and my buddies and I would fly, and I just knew, and sometimes get upgraded going overseas, and you, you have your own little cocoon pod, and, you know, you get a seven-course meal, and it was just beautiful, uh, but, but I got used to it, so anyway, I got this status, and my family, we were going to take, we had never gone on a, a family vacation, like just us. We'd always gone on family vacations, but it was always to visit family, and so we never just took our family and went on a vacation, and finally, it was in a position we could do that, so we'd planned this amazing vacation to Mexico. 
And, um, and we go and we're going to get on the plane. Everybody's excited. It's awesome. And I expected, you know, to get maybe upgraded when you get to a certain status, some of your family members could get upgraded with you. And so uh, it was awesome because myself and my five kids got upgraded to first class. Did you catch that? Myself and my five kids got upgraded to first class. My poor wife had to sit back and coach while we were sitting up in first class. But you know the worst part about it? I was like, see you, babe. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this is awesome. How you doing back there? How's those peanuts? You know? But I'm like, what is wrong with me? About halfway through the flight, I'm like, dummy, should have had a V8. You know, I'm like, I need serious man counseling here. Uh, I, I went back, I'm like, babe, would you like to go sit up front, you know, for, for half the flight? And she, she's like, no, it's okay. And she ended up going up there and I sat back there for half of it. But I'm like, what, what is the matter with me that I don't naturally think of her first? In fact, just, just the other day, this is so bad. I'm just there in all my dirty laundry this morning. But, but I remember um, we were going to return some things back to the store. And we were walking out of the garage to go to the, to the Jeep. And I go out and I go sit in the, sit in the Jeep and I'm waiting for her. And she, she comes out of the door and she's like looking at me holding all these packages. Like, aren't you going to help me? I'm like, oh yeah, sorry. So sorry. I mean, that's, that's my human nature right? We just naturally think about ourselves, and, and we're selfish by nature. I, I love um, Ryan Holiday wrote a book. It's called Ego is the Enemy, and I believe one of the greatest enemies that we face in our, in our fight to learn to love like Jesus is, is our own self. Like, we just, out of our own fallen nature, we're bent towards selfishness. In fact, uh, Aristotle, in his book on ethics, he, he has this brilliant analogy. He said, human nature is a lot like a warped piece of wood. He said, in order to straighten out a warped piece of wood, and I believe for many of us, we're warped by sin and we're bent naturally by sin to be selfish. But he said, in order to, to work that warp out of the board, he said, it takes a skilled carpenter to apply pressure in the opposite direction. And as they apply pressure in the opposite direction, it begins to straighten out over time. And I thought, wow, isn't that an amazing analogy how the carpenter Jesus, that if we allow him in the upside down kingdom, that he will, through learning to love like Jesus and learning to put others before ourselves, that over time, that through his working out of ourself in us, our warped lives, we become straightened out. How many of you could use some straighten out this morning? Thank you for joining my club. Yeah, yeah. But Ryan Holiday, in, in his book, Ego is the Enemy, there's a quote from him I want to share with you. He said this. He said, most of us aren't egomaniacs, and I believe that. Like, right? In fact, if I did a poll, how many of you are selfish this morning? Like, we don't naturally think that we're selfish. But there's so many times I'm like, oh man, I just miss it constantly. He says, most of us aren't egomaniacs, but ego is the root of almost every conceivable problem and obstacle. And I agree. He said, from why we can't win to why we need to win all the time and at the expense of others. He says, from why we don't have what we want to why having what we want doesn't seem to make us feel any better. When I read that, I was like, wow. Dude, you just nailed it 
on the head. The other thing that I think is uh, a barrier um, is busyness. Too many of us, like, we want to love people, but the reality is in our fast-paced 21st century culture and life, too many of us were so agenda-driven, we got things on our list to do, we got thing, you know, other priorities that we're running and we're moving so quickly that we're actually missing out on opportunities to love other people. So the second thing I have for you is this. If you're going to love first, you're going to have to learn to be selfless. If you're going to love first, you're going to have to learn to be selfless. And that means just giving yourself to other people. I remember um, when my son, Blake, was about eight years old. And um, it was a Saturday, and I had a kind of a to-do list, uh, of a mental to-do list of, of things I wanted to kind of get done. And my wife had asked me if I would go to the grocery store and pick up a few things for her. And uh, so I was like, yeah, you know, I got my list, but okay, I'll go. And uh, so I got my running shoes on. I'm like, I'm going to get in, get out. You know, I got stuff to do. And she's like, babe, why don't, why don't you take one of your boys with you? And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll take him with me. Come on. So, you know, like in my mind, he's just going to slow me down. You know, and I know that's terrible. Like the dad of the year award. But, um, but I'm like, okay, you know, that's a good idea. You know, a little father-son bonding as we go shopping together. So Blake gets in the car with me. We go, and uh, we, we go to Albertsons, and I'm running through, you know, Albertsons. I got my list of things that I want to, you know, get and everything like that. And, and I'm, like, dragging him through. Like, he's, like, having trouble keeping up with me. Uh, come on, Blake, you know, we're going to get this done. And uh, just, just completely missing him. And I remember I stopped, and I was reading something on a box or something like that. And he's like, Dad! I'm like, what, son? What? He's like, Dad. And he's kind of like pulling on my shirt and my jacket. I'm like, I'm like, take it easy, Blake. You know, just give me a minute. Daddy's trying to, you know, figure something out here. And he's like, Dad, Dad, Dad. And finally, I'm like, I stop. And I'm like, what? Like, what, what's so important? What's the deal? And, and he goes, Dad, listen to my sneaker squeak. <laughs> and I'm like, really? <laughs> That's what was so important now. Actually, in that moment, the Holy Spirit hit my heart. And I was like, wow, I'm so preoccupied into my own little world of, of what I've got to get done and the busyness of everything that I'm trying to get done. I'm missing a moment with my son. And he's trying to get my attention as a dad. And I was missing him. I wasn't seeing him. I wasn't, I wasn't being present with him. And I was convicted. I said, that's awesome, Blake. Show me how you do that again. And we walked out of there even more poorly, or just as important, rather. I was thinking how many times in our busyness, you know, we're at the checkout line, and if we were really in tune, present with the Lord and other people, maybe we, we would hear the still, small voice of the Lord say, I want you to encourage that person in front of you or, or the person behind the checkout counter. How many times have we missed an opportunity to put somebody first and to love somebody above our own interests and above our own self. I remember one time I, I, I did just that. I was sitting, I was standing rather in line 
and um, I was in a hurry and there was this lady who was trying to pay for her food and she didn't have enough money and she had a card. It was probably a welfare card. She gave it to him. For some reason, it wasn't working. It wasn't going through. And she apologized and, and she left and walked out. I think she was embarrassed and my heart just broke for her. And I just, I just felt compelled. I felt the Holy Spirit say, I want you to give her what you have in your pocket. Now, I don't normally carry cash. You ask me why. I, I don't hardly ever have cash. And, uh, but I happened to have a $100 bill in my wallet. And so I excused myself from the checkout line. I, I chased after this lady. She was about to get in her car. I said, ma'am, ma'am. I said, um, I don't know whether you believe in God or not, but I was sitting there. I kind of overheard your conversation and I hope you don't mind, but I really felt like the Lord wanted me to give you this. And I gave her the $100 bill and she just like jumped on me, like and hugged me. And she just had tears going down her face. And she just said, thank you. She said, I, she couldn't hardly talk. She said, you just don't know how much this means to me. And I said, well, I just want you to know how much you mean to God. And if you ever want to talk, I said, I'm a pastor and I pastor a, a great church called Hope Church. And I would love to have you come out, told her about our services. If you ever want to talk, just come out and let me know. I don't know if she ever came to church or not. I don't know where she is, but I know I was able to be in that moment and put somebody else first rather than myself and allow God's love to me to be a vessel and me to be Jesus with skin on to somebody else. I, I wonder if the church would start waking up to the fact that we're not just called to be a part of a church, but we're actually called to be Jesus with skin on. That God wants us to be a vessel. He wants to pour his love out on you so that you could pour love, his love into other people. And that I firmly believe that we're going to, not, we're not going to see lives renewed through the hope of Jesus until people start becoming our first priority. That we start caring about the people that are around us every day that maybe because in our busyness that we miss out on opportunities to share the love of God and to know the love of God. And that if we would reawaken to the priority of love, to love first, how God can use us in some miraculous ways to see the hope of Jesus get birthed into people's lives. John 13, 35 in the Amplified says this. It says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. What's, how are we gonna be known by people? Because we call ourselves Christians, because we put a little bumper, a fish bumper sticker on our, on our car, because we wear a cross, because on Facebook we, we talk about the Lord and we share scriptures or pictures of us in church doing devotionals because we have right doctrine and because we know the Bible more than other people. Jesus doesn't say any of those things to his disciples. You know what he does say? By this one thing, they'll know, the world will know that you're my followers, you're my disciples, if you love with unselfish concern for one another. Wow. That is the identification mark of a Christian. It's the, but Boy, church, I wonder how much are we missing this because we're so worried about judging people outside the, the church that don't think like us, live like us, act like us, speak like us, vote for people like us. And I believe that it's the very love of God that people are thirsty for more than anything else. And we have the love of God. We are the people that are the beloved but Jesus is saying, listen, you need to practice this in the family of God first. 
That when you love, this is why I always wondered, why did he say love? The first priority should be loving people in the, the community of faith first. Why is that? Because God wants an example of how people love like Jesus. I could have said that, that we want to learn to love. But I didn't. I said, no, that's not good enough. Why? Because the way the world loves is the way, different than the way Jesus loves. There's, there's several different words, and you probably know this in the Bible for love. Greek words, there's, there's eros, which is the um, erotic, where we get the word erotic from. But it's an attractional love, sensual love. And God uses that. That's, that's a part of married life. Praise God for that. Um, but there's also um, phileo love. That, that is brotherly love. That is a heart-to-heart, soul-to-soul connection that we feel to each other. Like, you just feel drawn. That, that's a, but the highest form of love, and actually the love of Jesus, is, is this love in the Greek. It's the word agape. And that word means unselfish, unconditional, lay down your life for your brother or sister kind of love. Do we love like that? Are we known for loving like that? In the church, Jesus says, if you exercise this on each other, that that if you love each other like that, you're not going to have to tell anybody you're a Christian. They're going to look at us and they're going to be jealous of what we have. I always dreamed of leading a church that when people, people came, they'd be like, I don't know what you guys have here. I don't know what's going on, but I want whatever that is. It's so attractive that we don't have to try to have gimmicks to get people to come to church or programs to try to get people to come to church. They come to church because there's something about your life that is attractive and the way we love each other is the greatest attraction that the world has ever seen. It's not a show. It's not smoke and mirrors. It's about love. All this, all this is about love. If we don't have it, We can't even say that we love God. The way and the measure of spiritual maturity isn't how much Bible you know, doctrine you know, how long you've been in the church, how God you... Look, read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Sometimes we think, man, I got the gift of prophecy. I got it going on. I I can do this. I can do that. And, And Paul says, no, no, no. You know what? You can do all that. But if you don't have love, you bankrupt. You have nothing. You've missed the whole point of this. You missed the whole point. If you don't learn to love unselfishly, unconditionally, no strings attached, love the way that I love, learn to love that way. And I say learn because this isn't something that comes natural, right? We're born into this world being spoon-fed in the mouth and changed diapers in the rear. And we go out the same way. And all through life, I think Burger King ruined it for us in 1973. I really do. So it used to be that you go to a restaurant. I was like, my son, he door dashed McDonald's the other day. I was thinking, man, we don't even go pick up our fast food anymore. <laughs> it's like, like somebody brings it to the door. Ding dong, here it is. Um, but really, Burger King ruined it for us in 1973. How many of you remember uh, the Big Mac? Two all beef patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles on a sesame seed bun. Remember that, right? And guess what? Back in the day, if you're dairy intolerant, sorry, we're not going to take off the cheese for you. You peel that processed sucker off by yourself, right? You don't like the special sauce? Sorry, go somewhere else. Get another burger. And then Burger King came along. Whopper, Whopper, Junior, Whopper, Whopper, Whopper. Come on. 
BK. See, you've been indoctrinated. BK ruined it for us all. Because it took the model and said, no, you know what? You can have it your way. You can have it when you want it, how you want it. And it subtly ushered in into this culture. Uh, it's all about me, myself, and I. How I want it, when I want it. It's about you serving me and meeting all my needs. And if we're not careful, there is, I love what Mark Batterson calls, he calls it the inverted gospel. And what he means by that is that we could take the gospel, which is Jesus sacrificing his life for us, and we can make the gospel all about us. We can invert the gospel saying that I want Jesus to follow me, my plan for my life, and, and bless what I'm doing, not I'm here to serve him and his purposes on the earth to be a part of his, his kingdom for his glory, not my glory. And if we're not careful, we get into this Americanized Christianity where it becomes all about us. And I don't like the songs you're singing and I don't like the way you preach and I don't like the way we do this. And, and we let this consumer mindset that is all about us creep in instead of I'm not here to be served. I'm here to worship my king. I'm here to give him glory, not get glory for myself. And we got to lay down our life for other people. And Jesus said, you know, hey, you want to find your life? And too many of us, that's, that's what the world will tell you. Go find your life. Go find your life. Go find your dream, man. Some churches will preach that to you. I got to give it to you straight. Jesus said, you want to find your life? Lose it for my sake. Be willing to lay it down for other people and watch you recover your life in a better way. You get real life. That busyness is the enemy of love. I'm telling you, and selfishness goes right along with it. The next thing I have for you, look at Paul preaching right into this culture, similar to what we have today, into that Roman Greek culture. He says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. He says, in your relationships with one another, man, we're going to get into this in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be good. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. See, this is why you have to learn. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind because all of us just have that default warped bent to selfishness. He says, Take the mind of Christ, who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. No, he didn't do that. Verse 7, Philippians 2, 7, if you guys could put it up. Verse 7, rather he made himself nothing by taking on what? The very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. Can I tell you something? Serving isn't something we do as Christians. Serving is who we are. We are servants. Jesus came not to be served, but to be served. So last thing I have for you is this. If we're going to love first, we must learn to be a servant. We must learn to be a servant. Because all of us, we just, man, we want things our way. We, we want the glory. In fact, for a lot of us that serve in the church, we have to be careful. I, I had to allow the Holy Spirit to kind of work 
work some things out of me, even becoming a pastor. Because you have, you have some selfish ambition mixed in with holy ambition. And even sometimes in our serving, if we're not careful, we could start to identify how we serve in the church and we could actually start looking for accolades and appreciation and, and uh, you know, glorification by the things we do to serve in the church rather than humbling ourselves and doing it purely for the, for the glory of God. And sometimes we could lose ourselves in service and start to identify how we serve instead of finding our identity in Christ. That I'm here not to serve my purposes, I'm here to serve his purposes, and I'm here to bring him glory. Gandhi said it really well. He said the, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in service to other people. But we don't get this really, really good. Even Jesus' own disciples, after seeing him give and give and give himself, there was times where they were arguing with each other like, hey, and this is the other part that's dangerous about serving. Sometimes we could start to think because we've served, God owes me something. God, I've served you all my life. Why don't you heal me? God, why don't you bless me with this? And, 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 and we pull ourselves out of grace and start to get into performance. Now the disciples started doing that in Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 45. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came to him and said, teacher, look, <laughs> I love this. Love the disciples. We want you to do whatever we want. We want you to do whatever we ask. We want you to be a genie in the bottle because after all, we've given up everything to follow you. So come on. Well, okay, what do you want? This is what Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And I love Jesus' response. You know what he says? You have no idea what you're asking. Can you drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of? And the cup that he was referring to, we're going to close our service here in just a minute by taking communion together. But that cup was the cup of suffering. It was the cup of him laying his life down for them. And they're sitting there asking him, can we sit on your right and left in heaven? And he's saying, man, you're missing it. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink of? They said, we can. Pretty bold. And he said, you know what? He said, you surely are going to drink this cup, knowing the deaths that they would go through. And he says, uh, you'll drink the cup that I drink, be baptized with the baptism I, I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left, that's not for me to decide. That's actually from my father. He's prepared those places. I don't know about them. Verse 41 said, when the 10 heard this, they became indignant. Like they're ticked off. Like, what are you guys doing? Well, I want to be in the right or left. And they're arguing. Jesus says, boys, 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 come on. Let's bring it in. Let's have a huddle. I got to straighten you out. <laughs> Have you not heard anything, seen what I've done? He says, listen, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. He's like, listen, not so with you. You're different. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? Your servant. And whoever wants to be first must become your slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to be a ransom for many that word and those of you who are serving communion you guys can kind of get set up and make your way the word that jesus uses as servant here there's two meanings in the greek one is 
diakonos, which literally means to be a waiter, a deacon. It means to wait and serve on the needs of people around you selflessly. So I see a need. I see you've got a need. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to meet that need. I'm not thinking of my own needs. I'm actually thinking about how I could serve you and meet your needs. The second one is a doulos. And you might say, man, I'm supposed to be a, I'm supposed to be a slave. What is Jesus talking about here? Can I tell you what he's talking about? He uses the word doulos, which actually means bondservant. A bondservant, you've heard of when people go uh, get locked in prison, you could get them out by what? By a bond. And you could free them by a bond. Well, a bondservant was somebody who was indebted to somebody and they couldn't repay the debt. So the way that they repaid the debt is they became a servant or a slave to their debtor and they served them until they worked off their debt and then they could go free. Well, oftentimes they didn't work off the amount of debt and there was a law written that says every seven years, you're released from that debt and free to go. But here, as a servant, you actually have the option that even though you're free to go, that you can choose to stay with your master because he's been so kind and loving and has taken such good care of you that you say, you know what? Even though I'm free to do whatever I want with my life, I choose to commit my life to be your servant for the rest of my life. I choose to be devoted to you and committed to you for my whole life as a servant. The last one, and there's seven different types of servants, but I want to bring this last one to you. It's called huperetes. And it's the Greek word. It actually means under rower. It's somebody who serves. Now, in, in ancient days, before motorized uh, vessels, boat vessels, they actually, somebody had a row. <laughs> and they would have on deck would be the captains and the officers, and they're leading the way. Underneath the deck would be all these people who were rowing. Nobody would see them, but they're the ones that are keeping the ship moving forward. Just like right now, the Amazing Hope servants that are sitting up there, they're changing the slides, they're, they're, they're doing behind the scenes. Nobody sees them, nobody give them accolades, but they're serving Jesus and they're serving you. There's people right now serving your kids. There's people that are making coffee and getting all these things ready for you when you come in. There's people that yesterday, Saturday morning, stood here and prayed for you, prayed for the service. Right now, we have intercessors that are praying for you, praying for your heart. Nobody sees them, nobody gives them accolades, but you know what they're doing? They're rowing. They're making this move forward. And I wonder if we took on the mindset of a servant, how that would change our life. When I think about serve, serving, I'll close with this so we can have communion together. In John 13, 1, it says that it was just before the Passover feast when Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And it says this, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. And verse 14, and now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. So picture this. Jesus, knowing that he was going to the cross, had his last meal with his closest friends. And normally, when they would come in, there would be a foot washer. And they were lowly, man. That's equivalent to a shoeshine boy. 
And as they came in, they would wash their feet. Well, nobody got the memo that day and didn't show up. Go figure. I think Jesus had it planned that way. Because there's nobody there. And, and in Jewish culture, they would recline. You, you hear them say they were reclining at the table. That's because their tables were only this high. So when they would share a meal, they'd actually lay down to one side and eat and have fellowship with one another. But the problem with that is that meant that their stinky, dirty feet were up in somebody's grill. And that was a problem. Knowing this, I believe Jesus preached the greatest message, his last message he ever preached that wasn't a message. It was what he did. And he gave us an example of what it means to be a servant. It says that after supper, he took a towel, wrapped it around his waist, and he got down on his hands and knees, and he washed their filthy, dirty, stinky, feet, symbolizing what he would do on the cross, washing away the filth of our sin and our past and our brokenness. The thing that gets me the most is Judas was a part of that. The very one that he knew would betray him, he showed the same love to him as he showed to the others. So I want to remind us as we're about to come up for communion, if you guys can hand me this. Here's my last parting thought to you. It's going back to the beginning because if you're like me, you hear all this and you're like, man, this is, this is tough to live out. Yeah, it is. You know the only way that we're gonna be able to do it? We love because he first loved us. And he showed us that the night before he was betrayed, uh, that he was betrayed rather. The Bible says that he took the bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is going to be broken for you. Every time you eat this, remember my sacrifice of love. It says, likewise, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant it represents my blood. It's going to be poured out for you. He poured out his life. Now he was going to pour out his blood. The final breath of life that he had.